So let's take a listen to Vladimir Putin now. I'm addressing Russian citizens again. I'm thanking you for your perseverance, for your unity and patriotism. This civil solidarity has shown that any blackmail, any attempts to cause domestic discord are doomed to failure. I'll say this again. The highest level of social consolidation has been shown of the executive and legislature at all levels, uh, a hard and unequivocal position of support towards the constitutional order was taken by um, public organizations, religious, conf religious confessions, leading political parties, essentially all of Russia's society. Everyone has been united and turned into one by the main thing, the responsibility for the fate of our fatherland. I'll stress it again, from the very beginning, all steps were taken to ensure the neutralization of this threat to defend the constitutional order, the lives and security of our citizens. Our mutiny would have been suppressed in any case. Organizers of the mutiny, even though they became deranged, they could not but understand this. They understood everything, including the fact that they were committing a crime aimed at dividing our society and making our country weaker. Our country, which is now facing a colossal threat from abroad, unprecedented unprecedented pressure from abroad when uh, at the front line people are shouting we mustn't retreat and our comrades are dying but the organizers of this mutiny having betrayed their country their people they betrayed those who they've involved in their crime. They lied to them, they pushed them towards death, towards fire. They tried to make them shoot at their own people. And this is what um, what the enemies of Russia wanted to achieve, brother killing brother. Both neo-Nazis in Kiev, their Western masters and various national traitors, they wanted Russia soldiers to kill each other. They wanted servicemen to die. They wanted peaceful residents to die. They wanted Russia to lose. They wanted our society to split and drown in a bloody interior stri internal strife. They rubbed their hands. They dreamed of uh, exacting revenge for their own failures on the front line during the so-called counter-offensive, but they were wrong. I thank our servicemen, I thank our security agencies, special services, secret services, who, who, were, who, who tried to stop the mutineers, who stayed loyal to their oath, to their people, uh, bravery and selfless sacrifice of our, of our pilots who died uh, and who saved Russia from the tragically destructive consequences. So really, really interesting words, uh, Vitaly. Thank you very much for that translation. Just a thought as uh, we were listening to that, you've spent an awful lot of time watching various different statements uh, by Vladimir Putin on uh, state media there in Russia. 
How do you think uh, this one compares? What do you think other kind of circumstances where he'll have clearly he's never had to address something uh, this serious, uh, Russian troops filing up uh, towards uh, Moscow. But what did you make of that? You know, Lewis, the, the last time Putin had to make an address like this was back at the very beginning of his rule in the early 2000s when uh, the Kremlin was trying to suppress a rebellion in Chechnya. Since that time, most of his speeches were given at a time of Vladimir Putin's choosing. And as we understand, he's very reluctant to be pressured into doing something. But this speech and the one he made on Saturday morning uh, are different. He made them because he really had to. And that's really different from the way that he is used to operating and particularly on Saturday when he was facing this apparent rebellion by Wagner he he, he uh, was running a really high risk of uh, looking weak and today by failing to address uh, criticisms that he he has failed to punish the mutineers who, who were committing this horrible crime of of rebellion, who betrayed Russia, as he said on Saturday. Uh, a lot of people are saying that he is showing weakness and that uh, Vladimir Putin will have to work really hard to restore his uh, credibility and authority mm. among the movers and shakers in Russia. Absolutely fascinating. Vitaly, thank you very much for that. I'm sure we'll be back with you uh, later on. Now, though, I want to go to Colin P. Clark, Director of Research at the Sufan Group, a global intelligence and security consultancy. Thanks very much for coming on the programme. Thanks for having me. So, an extraordinary statement uh, that Vladimir Putin just had to make. What do you, well, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I uh, agree with uh, the, the last presenter, which is that it shows that Putin is weak. I think more than the weakness it's revealed, and, and that's important for a number of reasons, but primarily because Putin you know, surrounds his whole image as one of strength and confidence and machismo. That's shattered and tarnished. Uh, but I think, you know, just as importantly, it shows that there's really no strategy for what comes Kremlin to fly. They were unprepared for what happened with Prigozhin. I don't think they thought he would take it nearly as far as he did. And moreover, Moscow is reliant on the Wagner Group to operate its foreign policy in many parts of the world. So without Wagner, they're at a major loss in terms of projecting influence. So yeah, what do you think happens to the Wagner uh, Group now? The suggestion that we heard a little earlier on that there's this deadline looming for them to be absorbed within to the, uh, the, the regular army. What do you think happens next? Well, I mean, if the Russians go that route, it con you know, considerably changes what their force posture and their military structure looks like around the world. If all of a sudden Wagner forces are reflagged as Russian military, well, now they've got an official formal presence in places like Mali, Sudan, Venezuela, Central African Republic and elsewhere. Moreover, it's a bit more complicated than that, because if you think about some of the crimes that Wagner forces have been alleged to commit, including war crimes and crimes against humanity, now that comes with a Russian military uniform on top of it. And, and that makes the, you know, the Kremlin, I think, even more of a pariah than it already is on the global stage. So there's real ramifications and consequences here that 
Putin hasn't really thought out. And I think the world is kind of coming to terms with those second and third order effects, you know, in real time. I'm going to ask a slightly unfair question now because we can only ever know uh, the answer to this uh, years from now. But does this feel to you like a significant moment in the leadership of Vladimir Putin? I think without question, this shows that Putin is, uh, you know, maybe not uh, fit to lead the Russian state into kind of this next generation. And I think, you know, in the West, many people have speculated that and, and suggested that for years. Uh, and COVID certainly seemed to have done a number on him, uh, at least his kind of psychological state. And you see him sitting at these long tables and going on these long diatribes about kind of obscure parts of Russian history. But now I think internally, even within his inner circle, there's question, is this who we want to be the public face of our country? You know, and there could be some kind of ensuing power struggle over the coming weeks and months. And, you know, th that's really bad news for the world, because an unstable Russia with that many nuclear weapons, uh, you know, that's not good for global security. Colin P. Clark, great to have your thoughts. Thank you very much for coming on the programme. Thanks for having me. Right, let's bring in our panel now. Two people very well placed uh, to comment on this, given both your uh, background. Great to see you, Miles Taylor, Lord Kim uh, Darrick. Uh, Miles, uh, let's start with you, the US perspective. Uh, where do you think these statements uh, by Vladimir Putin uh, leave him right now? Uh, well, I, I would agree with Colin in the previous segment that this all leaves Putin in a much weakened state. And the immediate conclusion you can draw from that is it's bad for everyone else. Uh, now, there was a lot of, I don't know how else to put it, but a lot of excitement on social media and in the wider press while the Wagner group was marching towards Moscow. But the way this has ended is probably going to be bad for Ukraine in the immediate and bad for the West in the long run, bad for Ukraine, because a weakened Putin is really going to want to show that he's stronger. And I imagine we'll ramp up actions there. And it's bad for the West because Putin's already starting to seed the narrative that there's been Western meddling and he's going to want to show that he's strong. So that instability, that uncertainty and a very paranoid chief executive in the Kremlin is exactly what we don't want. And I think the White House is feeling the same way right now. Interesting. Kim Darrick, your thoughts? Yeah, I quite agree with that. I think that, um, that what Putin did in his speech tonight was to try to recapture some of the ground he lost with the events of the last 48 hours. I mean, a proper strongman um, crushes rebellions. He doesn't do deals with the people who are rebelling and let them go off into exile in a neighboring country. So this won't be a look that Putin likes at all let alone the story of the, 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 the rebel troops getting within a couple of hundred miles of Moscow. Um, so we're seeing a backlash now in terms of his rhetoric. I think it's right that it's quite likely he'll find ways to start blaming the West for it. I do think that he is, he is permanently damaged by this. And I you know it's massively speculative to say this is, this is the beginning of a change in, in, in Russia, but I think it's not impossible. But the risk is that you actually end up with someone who is, if this is possible, even worse than Putin, even more extremist than him. So it does look like uh, what's already a very unstable, volatile situation where escalation would be extremely dangerous. It can make things worse. 
Interesting. Miles, just want to come back just to build on that point. You talked about how dangerous this is right now because Vladimir Putin will, in, in your uh, opinion, want to retaliate and demonstrate some uh, strength. Do you think uh, that this could be the beginning of the end for him? Miles, I think you have frozen. Kim, do you want to just pick up uh, with that? Lord Kim Derrick, do you think this really is the beginning of the end or just too early to tell? This is just too early to tell. But what it told us uh, is that there are some quite profound cracks beneath the surface. I mean, the fact that, for example, as an earlier earlier, earlier correspondent said, that actually the, 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 um, the Wagner troops in Rostov seemed to be welcomed by the local population. There wasn't much opposition to them as they marched on Moscow. Um, so it suggests that Russian public opinion maybe isn't as quite behind Putin as he claimed in that speech that he that he's just given. There's not much sign of you know, in Rostov of all the social solidarity he was talking about. Right. So that's a worrying sign for him. And um, you know, this is uh, as others have said probably the most difficult moment he's had for uh, you know, a couple of decades. And, you know, these, well, these revolutions can happen very, very gradually and then suddenly. So I'm not predicting that he's, that he's gone, but this could be the start of something. So interesting. Kim and Miles, thanks both for that 